Jason, this is Light On, Light Through. Welcome back to episode 54, in which I'm going to be continuing my special omnibus jumbo review of season four of Lost. Now, episode 53 of Light On, Light Through had the first eight episodes of season four reviewed. And I promised back then that I'd come back with the remainder of the episodes of Season 4. Those would be Episodes 9 through 13. And we're now just a couple of months away from the uh, beginning of Season 5, which will be starting in January 2009. So I thought this would be a good time to come back with these reviews. And the last uh, episodes of Lost... Uh, season four were really among the very best in the entire series. So as I did with the first special Jumbo review, you're going to hear the complete reviews that I originally did back in the spring of 2008 on one of my other podcasts, Levinson News Clips. And those reviews were often done literally a few minutes after the episode had ended. So you can hear all the excitement in my voice. You'll also hear my analyses, some of the mistakes I made. I did get a few things right. But you can look back now and see how much I got right, how much I got wrong. So with no further ado, here then is Lost Season 4, reviews of Episodes 9 through 13. Enjoy. Hello, this is David G. Hartwell. I'm a senior editor at Tor and Forge Books in New York. I've been editing science fiction since 1970. I've edited a lot of people over the course of my career, but I'm pleased to also be the editor of Paul Levinson. I edited his first novel, The Silk Code. And I edited his most recent novel, The Plot Saves Socrates, and all the books in between. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson. This is Levinson News Clips, and I'm delighted to be back with my renewed reviews of Lost, picking up in season four with a review of last night's spectacular episode nine. Well, we got two rare glimpses into the true nature of Ben last night in a brutally brilliant episode of Lost. One, when he said goodbye to Alex on the island, and a second in what we saw on Ben's face in the flash-forward second scene with Saeed. And we learned a whole lot more about some other crucial things, too. First... I was wrong when I supposed in my review of one of the earlier episodes of this season that Ben might have been the one who shot Rousseau in, and Carl in episode 8. Not actually Ben himself, but Ben might have been responsible for that. But I don't think I was wrong about Ben's use of murder of innocence to further his agenda. I'll get to that in about a minute. But it was the bad guys on the boat... Widmore's men, who did kill Rousseau and Carl in episode 8. Tonight, they try to get Ben to surrender by threatening to kill Alex. Ben tries to outsmart them, telling them truthfully that Alex is not his daughter, and trying to disguise his love for her. But Ben's bluff is called, and Alex is shot dead right in front of Ben's horrified eyes. Kimi, played with fatal precision by Kevin Duran, does the deed. Why Whitmore's killers would give up this possible leverage on Ben, even though Ben tried to deny it, is a little surprising. But what's clear in any case, when Ben says goodbye to his murdered, adopted daughter, is just how much he loves her. And this sets the stage for what Ben will do once he gets off the island. Well, next, we already saw some of Ben off the island earlier this season, with Ben directing Saeed's assassinations of Widmore's men. Tonight, we saw just how this came to be. The murder of Alex change the rules, according to Ben, which presumably didn't include murdering innocent members of your family. 
Ben is out to kill all of Widmore's associates. And we find at the very end that includes Penelope, Widmore's daughter, as well. But Ben, as accomplished a killer as he is, cannot get all of Widmore's people on his own. So he recruits Saeed. I think by killing Nadia, Saeed's true love, whom Saeed found and married after getting off the island, and then blaming that killing on Widmore. Now, it's possible that Widmore's guy did kill Nadia, as Ben told Saeed. That would certainly explain why Widmore's man was into Crete for the funeral of Nadja. But it doesn't explain why, in the first place, Widmore would have killed Nadja. If he wanted to get Saeed, he could have killed Saeed directly. I think a better explanation is that Widmore's man was at Nadja's funeral because he wanted to let Saeed know that Ben killed Nadja. None of that, of course, is clear, uh, but my best guess is Ben is the one who killed Nadja to recruit Saeed. Now, this is really superb plotting. And loss is as good as it's ever been, uh, and I think in many ways better. This season is just spectacular, pounding away with every episode. We also learned something else very crucial at the end of last night's episode. It seems that neither Widmore nor Ben know where the island is. And why not? likely because it's shrouded in some sort of space-time continuum distortion. And the smoke monster makes another appearance, apparently at Ben's behest. It seems to kill all the bad guys, the people who killed Rousseau and Carl, and who killed Alex. Uh, but uh, maybe not, because uh, at least one of the bad guys looked like he was alive and kicking in the coming attractions. And also, Sawyer is finally splitting with Locke and heading back to the beach. It was a fine night for Sawyer, by the way, rescuing Claire and trying to protect Harley from Ben and Locke's plants. It was a fine edge-of-your-seat night for Lost. Well, I've got it on DVR, and you know what? I'm going to watch it again right now. By the way, if you'd like to hear more of my reviews of earlier episodes of Lost, you can find them on LevinsonNewsClips.com, L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-N-E-W-S-C-L-I-P-S.com. And I have a special podcast of all of my reviews of the first eight episodes of Lost, all put together into one 60-minute podcast at lightonlightthrough.com, my other podcast. And I'll see you here next week with my review of Episode 10 of Lost. In the meantime, enjoy. Athens. 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. 
You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Hi, this is Corey Doctorow, author of Overclocked and other books. You're listening to Paul Levinson's... Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson. This is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing with my reviews of Season 4 of Lost. And I'll be reviewing Episode 10 today, which I think of as almost a dream come true. Well, Jack's almost ruptured appendix was center stage on the island in this episode, but it was the least important part of a splendid episode 10 of Lost Season 4. After all, we already know that Jack will survive because of the flash-forwards. Speaking of which, one. Tonight's flash-forward featured Jack, Kate, Aaron, and brief appearances by Hurley and Jack's father, Christian. It starts a little time after the trial that we saw in 4.1, and the Hurley episode, which was 4.2 this season. Jack's with Kate in this flash-forward, and he's making a good father for Aaron, too. Jack and Kate are about as happy as we've ever seen them, and I'm not surprised that Jack is with Kate because we saw at the end of the trial episode, 4.1, just how much Jack missed and wanted to be with Kate, and the same with Kate. Will this be the most happy we'll ever see these two in the series? I'm afraid maybe yes, but I hope not. Well, number two. Jack goes to see Hurley, and things start falling apart for Jack, and therefore for Jack and Kate. Hurley gives Jack a message from Charlie, who Hurley says has paid him a lot of visits. The message, Jack should not be raising Aaron. Well, who then? Claire? Back on the island? Maybe. Jack gets a long glimpse of Christian, actually Jack's second in this episode, after Hurley tells Jack that someone will be coming to see him, Jack. Last week, we had an episode about daughters. Tonight was all about fathers. Three. Meanwhile, still in the flash-forward, Kate's on the phone with someone and going to see that person and not telling Jack. Kate and Jack are now engaged after Jack proposes in a wonderful scene. But Jack presses Kate on her mysterious friend. Kate says she's doing something she promised for Sawyer. And the honeymoon that never quite happened looks like it's about over. But I was wondering why Jack is so upset about Sawyer. I mean, sure, he'd be jealous of Sawyer because clearly Kate cares a lot about Sawyer and there was that triangle back on the island. But it seemed to me that Jack got a little bit too upset too quickly. Now, Lost deserves credit for keeping us on this roller coaster of showing us things that almost happen and seem to fit with the flash forward at the end of season three but then suddenly swerving into another course, and then back again. Jack looked like he was on the path to the Season 3 finale in the Season 4 opener this year, that tragic path. Tonight, it looked like he and Kate were getting together, going contrary to the Season 3 finale. But then the story moved right back in sync with what we saw last year. That's part of the fun of this great series, this unexpected roller coaster. Four, meanwhile, back on the island, Jin had an excellent episode as he gets the better of Charlotte. Bernard and Rose put in good appearances, too. Jack, of course, survives the operation, right after which Juliet lets Kate know that Jack really loves Kate which sets things up, of course, for the flash-forward, though we didn't really need that. But this scene with Juliet and Kate and Jack looks to me as if 
It's the end of anything between Juliet and Jack. Five. Far more mysterious and powerful is what happens to Clarence Sawyer on their way with Miles back to the beach. Claire wakes up in the middle of the night to find Christian, who of course is her father too, holding Aaron. By the time morning comes, Claire and Christian are gone, and Sawyer takes Aaron. What happened? Is Claire dead? Maybe from a hemorrhage she suffered last week? Possibly. These things can happen. People sometimes have head injuries, and they die suddenly a few days or a week later. Now, is Christian really dead and Claire is joining him? We still don't know exactly what Christian's situation is. Uh, Some people think he might be Jacob and therefore not dead or some kind of super being. So if that were the case, why would he take Claire with him just to be with his daughter? Lost is still an enigma wrapped in a puzzle, but it's giving us more better deeper glimpses, and that's what makes it such remarkable television. I'll be back here next week with my review of episode 11. If you'd like to listen to my reviews of all the episodes of Lost Season 4, you can find them at levinsonnewsclips.com. That's L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N-N-E-W-S-C-L-I-P-S dot com. And you can hear all eight of my reviews of the first eight episodes of Lost Season 4 at one of my other podcasts, Light On, Light Through. That's L-I-G-H-T-O-N-L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. I never was a good speller, but that's how it's spelled. So listen, enjoy, and I'll see you next time. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says... Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. The Light on Light Through podcast... Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips, and I'm back with a review of episode 11 of season 4 of Lost, a mind blowing, extraordinary episode. And then, right after this review, after a brief commercial break, I'll share with you a theory I came up with about how the Oceanic Six were chosen. So listen for that after this review. Well, about uh, Thursday's episode, I think Richard Albert is Locke's father. The timeless man, maybe a time traveler, maybe an eternal like John Amsterdam who doesn't seem to age, who knows? Richard Alpert, who helped get Juliet to the island, who helped 
Ben Kill, the Dharma people, who has a life as a hostile on the island that seems to transcend the others, Dharma, and everyone else. Well, he's Locke's father. Now, I know what you're thinking. We saw Locke's father in a lot of previous episodes, including the one in which Sawyer killed him on the island. Uh, but I think that it's Richard Albert who's really Locke's father. Uh, he impregnated a teenage girl, Emily, half his age, who dug Buddy Holly in the 1950s. She has the baby, names him John, gives him her last name Locke, and leaves the hospital. Her mother gives John Locke up for adoption, but not before we see Richard Albert in the hospital clearly recognized by Emily's mother. Now, I suppose it's possible that he, Albert, was just hanging around because he knew there was something special uh, about John Locke. But then why throw out the words that Emily's boyfriend is twice his age? That's why I think Richard Albert is really Locke's father and Cooper... Sawyer, the guy that Sawyer killed, may be related to Locke in some way, but is not his father. And let me throw out another possibility to you. If the name Emily sounds familiar, that might be because someone named Emily was also Ben's mother. So, if this is somehow the same Emily, that means that Locke and Ben are at very least half-brothers, same mother, and who knows, maybe full brothers, if Richard, not Roger, was Ben's father. Now, I know the actresses were different. And how could the Emily in the older episodes of Lost, in which Locke first finds her, she was obviously still alive, uh, played by Susie Kurtz, in that little appearance... So how then could she be the same Emily who was Ben's mother who died when Ben was born? Well, I admit that there are still things that need to be explained, but I still think there's a possibility that maybe Emily is the same Emily and possibly Emily didn't really die when she gave birth to Ben. In any case... It's an awfully big and interesting coincidence that both Ben's mother and Locke's mother were named Emily. And I've been saying for a while that inexplicable coincidences, which are really explicable if only we knew all the facts, are the key to understanding Lost. You can find a whole essay about that over on my blog, InfiniteRegress.tv. And certainly Locke and Ben having the same mother and maybe the same father would be one wild example which would explain a whole lot of things. Now later in episode 11, On the Island, Ben tells Locke that the island wanted Locke to take over from Ben. That's why the island made Ben sick and cured Locke. I thought that was one of the best and most instructive lines in the series, and it was preceded by another pretty great line from Ben to Locke, Destiny is a fickle bitch, Ben says to Locke. Back in the past and off the island, Richard comes to test Locke as a boy who fails the test. Perhaps this shows that Locke has qualities which go beyond what Richard expected, or perhaps young Locke chooses the knife rather than the book because he isn't quite willing to accept his true identity, and the knife seems cooler than a book at Locke's young age. Now, back on the island, Locke manages to get to the cabin. Christian, Jack and Claire's father, is there in the chair, and Claire's in the cabin, too, having been collected last week by Christian. My best guess about this is, sadly, both are dead. And we already know that Locke can see the dead. And while we're on that subject, the hapless doctor who washed up dead on the island last week, but was still alive on the ship offshore, winds up getting his throat cut tonight on the ship. A little more evidence that the ship offshore exists in time a little earlier than the island. 
though why uh, Kimi would have sliced the doctor's throat and then not had a doctor available to help him and his men, that's a little surprising. But there's certainly a great discrepancy in time there, sort of like for all of us viewers of Lost, meaning the next three episodes already exist, but we've got to wait a few weeks to see them, a few weeks to see the best stuff ever on television. And I'll be back after this brief commercial break with my theory of how the Oceanic Six were chosen. Athens. 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about the plot to save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Well, I'm back. I just watched episode 4.11 of Lost Again, and I was struck in this episode with the way Juliet was making such a big deal about Jack not being able to run. And it all came together for me, and also after talking with my wife and daughter, about how the Oceanic Six, mentioned in the coming attractions, came to be chosen. So here's my best guess about what will happen. Kimi, as we know, is on a mission to kill everyone on the island. The only way to be at least somewhat safe from him is to run as fast as you can into the jungle. Jack can't run because of his appendix operation. He's one of the Oceanic Six. Kate can't run very fast with Aaron in her arms. Sawyer will give Aaron to Kate before this. Kate and Aaron are two and three of the six. Sawyer, of course, can run fast. Sun is pregnant and can't run very fast. She's fourth of the Oceanic Six. Hurley, who will be united with the beach people, also can't run fast. He's fifth of the Oceanic Six. And Saeed will be needed to pilot the boat. Sixth of the six. Well, what do you think? Every day loves it going stronger. Da, da, da. Great song. And I'll be back here next week with my review of episode 12 of season 4 of Lost. Enjoy. Hey, if you'd like an autographed copy of any of my novels or any of my books, here's how you can get one. Just send me an email at levinson.paul at gmail.com. That's L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N dot P-A-U-L at gmail.com. And I'll reply with a link on Amazon that you can use to purchase whatever book of mine you like. And I'll also give you an address which you can give to Amazon and then have them send the book you purchase to me rather than you. And I'll be more than happy to personally autograph any copy of my novel or any of my nonfiction books that you send to me. I can autograph it to you or anyone that you specify. 
And again, this applies to all of my novels, The Plot to Save Socrates, The Silk Code, as well as all of my nonfiction books, ranging from The Soft Edge to Cell Phone. So if you have someone's birthday coming up, a graduation present, an anniversary, I'd be happy to autograph it to that person, or if you just want to treat yourself to a present, I'd be happy to autograph the book to you. And again, just write to me at levinson.paul at gmail.com. And as soon as I get the book from Amazon, I'll turn it right around with an autograph for you the day that I get it. So I look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Daniel Keyes, author of Flowers for Algernon, and you're listening to Paul Levinson. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips, and I'm back today with my review of episode 4.12 of Lost which was on this past Thursday night. Now, I think the single most astonishing and reassuring image in the 12th episode of the fourth season of Lost was Hurley's sequence of numbers on the odometer of his red car in his part of the ensemble Ocean 6 flash forward shortly after they're all back into some kind of semblance of a normal life in the future. Now, Loss has been making a fabulous attempt this season to give rational explanations, or at least explanations not totally beyond the pale of understanding, for some of the major puzzles and mysteries of the past few years. We got an inkling of why Locke is the way he is, a little more about Ben and what makes him and the island tick, some powerful insights into Desmond's capacity to see the future. Ah, but those numbers, Hurley's numbers, they never made sense in the past, and seeing them again in this episode at Hurley's birthday party in the flash forward brings home just how stubbornly they defy any rational explanation. Why do they keep popping up in Hurley's life? It's tempting to think they are just part of Hurley's delusion, But others have seen them earlier in the series. Let's see, the numbers, of course, were on the hatch. They pop up in odd things on medicine bottles on the island. The numbers, of course, are what indirectly drew Hurley to the island in the first place because they were in that transmission that was indirectly given to Hurley. He didn't hear it directly, but that's eventually what got him to the island because Hurley used those numbers to bet on his successful lottery ticket, and that's what really began pushing him over the edge. So tonight, or actually a couple of nights ago, Hurley sees them again. His father apparently sees them in the car, but we can't be 100% sure what he's saying. All that we can be sure of is the numbers keep reminding us that there's a deep, fascinating part of Lost that is as yet totally inexplicable. It's part of what makes this series such great television. And I know many people were saying this year, what's going on with Hurley's numbers? Will Lost just go on and resolve itself without ever explaining the numbers? But I think this past Thursday night show tells us, and that's why I found it reassuring, uh, that the creators of Lost have not at all forgotten about the numbers. And I predict they'll play a very substantial role role in the ultimate resolution of the show. Now, also in this episode 12, we see Sun establishing control over her father's company back in career in the future before she will have her baby. Will this be a third quasi-corporate force destined to play some role in the battle between Widmore and Ben? We also see Saeed happy with Nadja and This, of course, was heartbreaking because we know what will soon happen to Nadja. And we see Jack learning that Claire was his sister. 
This is why he has so much trouble being near Aaron, who reminds Jack that he didn't come through for his sister back on the island. And a lot is converging on the island on the orchid. Jack and Sawyer, Kate and Saeed, and Richard's others, Locke and Ben and Hurley, and of course, Kimi's killers. And back on the boat, well, something's on the verge of exploding it out of existence and separating Sun and Jin, and who knows about Michael, who wants to die, and Desmond, who certainly doesn't, now that he's been back in touch with Penny. All of the players seem to still be in the process of being shaken up and shaken together and apart and back again to somehow form the Oceanic Six and those left on the island. So far, everything we've seen this episode seems to point to how one or another will be the Oceanic Six, but the composition of the Oceanic Six, although it stayed the same, seems still unclear about how it came to be. Kate, for example, walks away from the beach people early on. She spends that night with Sawyer. Then she went back to the beach people. Now she and Jack are going to the orchid. But it's still not clear how all five, and including Aaron as the six, will get together. Well, I guess we'll find that out soon. But we'll have to wait two, two long weeks for that. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. copy of this immediately. This combines uh, three things that uh, I love uh, that are part of my life. Uh, ancient history, uh, specifically ancient Greek history, time travel, uh, ancient manuscripts. So I, I, will be, uh, I, I will be immediately running down to uh, the local Barnes and Noble and picking up a copy of this. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm delighted to be here with my review of the fabulous two hour finale of Lost Season 4. And a brief note about the very significant bit of extra footage in the replay of Lost 4.12 that we also saw last night. Uh, before the two-hour finale of Lost. And in fact, I have six initial thoughts, plus something about that extra footage, and I'm sure I'll be back here in weeks to come with more. But let's go over the six. One, 
I'd been thinking that Ben was most likely in the coffin for most of this season before this evening, with Locke and, to a lesser extent, Michael as possibilities. But Ben seemed too obvious as tonight's story unfolded. Everything that he did made us want to hate him more, and we already knew he was off the island. So I began thinking Locke again. Still in all, I can't quite see why Kate would have so much disdain for Locke in contrast to Ben. But on yet another hand, there's Jeremy Bentham and John Locke both being the names of philosophers. And last May, a year ago, in my podcast and my blog post review, Who's in the Coffin?, I discussed the appeal of Jeremy Bentham being the name of the person in the coffin. You may recall that there was a screenshot of the obituary that Jack had been reading, and all you could really see was J for the first name and T-H-A-M for the second name. And I thought Jeremy Bentham made a lot of sense as the name, precisely because law seems to favor people with names of great philosophers, not only John Locke, but Desmond Hume and Rousseau. And second, Jeremy Bentham is known for, among other things, as being someone who talked about the pan-opticon, a system in which you could stand uh, in a tower and see everything uh, that was happening around a 360-degree surround. And that struck me as somehow significant to Lost as well. Now, too, speaking of the island, where exactly did it move? I don't think it moved in space. I think it's more intriguing to think the island moved in time, maybe somewhere in the near future, where it will reappear in season five or six. Now, time travel is becoming increasingly central to Lost. We have Desmond's mental projection through time. We have the island and the ship being in different times this season. And now perhaps the island itself moving into the future. And of course, once you have time travel, one of my favorite genres, and uh, as many of you know, I'm an author of a time travel novel, The Plot to Save Socrates. And one of the fun things about time travel is no one needs to be dead permanently. So I'll get back to that in a second, but uh, John Locke in the coffin at the end of season four does not mean that that's where John Locke will be in season five or six if someone can go back in time and prevent Locke from being killed. Number three, you know what? I'm thinking Jin may have survived the massive explosion on the boat. He was on the deck and he could have jumped into the water, unlike Michael whose time had clearly come as indicated by Christian, an angel of death as what Christian has become. Now Jin could have survived in the water until some other boat picked him up. Of course, that doesn't explain why Jin wasn't there at the birth of his baby, but he may be a prisoner somewhere, maybe on the island. Four, it was great to see Desmond and Penny together, but their happiness is by no means assured with Ben out to kill Penny. Five, is Son really going to be working with Widmore? You know, I doubt it. I'd say she's infiltrating his organization. And number six, back to lock in the coffin. If he's taken back to the island, he'll likely end up not dead. Indeed, dying, if indeed Locke did commit suicide, may have been part of Locke's plan to help get the Oceanic Six back home. We'll just have to see next year. And oh... Presumably, Boone, Libby, and Charlie will all have some role, because the three were mentioned as surviving the crash of Oceanic 815, 
by Jack in the expanded press conference that we saw in the replay of episode 4.12. Now, Charlie's name makes sense. He recently died and his body might be floating somewhere. But why Boone and Libby? I'm sure we'll find out in the next two years. Well, listen, I've enjoyed doing these podcast reviews. I hope you've enjoyed listening to them. I've reviewed every episode of Season 4, and I have many reviews of Season 3. You can find them all at levinsonnewsclips.com. And I'll definitely be back here next year with reviews of Lost Season 5. Knowing me, I'll probably be back uh, in the next couple of days, or certainly the next few weeks, with some more thoughts about the spectacular Season 4. And in addition to that, we have Battlestar Galactica concluding this season, so look for a podcast or two about that show. And I'll certainly be reviewing 24, which is going to have a two-hour prequel to the new season on this fall. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says... Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed those reviews of Lost Season 4. If you're interested in reading uh, blog post reviews of Lost and a whole bunch of other science fiction and other great television shows, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, Life on Mars, Heroes, Fringe, Dexter, all those goodies, you can uh, read them on my blog, infiniteregress.tv. And uh, if you do come over there, by all means, also jump into the conversations. There are lots of interesting comments, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Meanwhile, here on Light On, Light Through, I think I'm going to be putting together a couple of jumbo episodes, which will have all of my reviews of the last season of 24. Now, 24 is also coming back in January, and in fact, uh, at the end of November, there'll be a special two-hour episode of 24, another great television show, and uh, I think you might be interested in, in some of my reviews, so watch for that. But I had a good time uh, talking to you again, as always. Sorry these podcasts haven't been as frequent as in the past. I was so busy blogging about the election. I'm delighted Obama won. Also, I'm finishing up a new book, New New Media, which is due at the publishers in January. But I should have some more time, uh, certainly after that, and even in the next month or two. So I hope you come back here and listen often. That's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. 
for Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code, the Punk Horror Podcast. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world. Witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press, featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell, and author Red Fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com.